What's up, what's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast. I'm excited you joined me today because we have a very important guest today. We are so privileged and lucky to have Kate DeLeo on our show. She is a brand architect and a number one international best-selling author whose approach is rooted in the belief that brand is the path of least resistance to revenue. She teaches you to eliminate complex and ineffective storytelling by delivering a simple yet proactive message that tells prospects what you do, how you solve their problem, and how you differ from the competition. Guys, we are so lucky to have her expertise and her wisdom and all the great things that she's going to share with us today. So let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. We are going to have some fun. And like our audience knows, I love digging in <laughs> to how this whole crazy mess began, how you ended up as a number one international best-selling author, how you ended up doing some of the cool things that you're doing. We're going to get to all that today, but I want to start from, well, wherever you feel like is the beginning, because <laughs> I want to hear the journey. Like it's yeah. so crazy for entrepreneurs on the way, no matter where we're at in the journey, I think it's always great to be able to hear about other people's journeys. That's what I love about biographies yes. and reading those. So let's hear what you got. Let's hear what started this whole mess and how you got here. Well, first off, I love that you call it a mess because I think that's completely true for the entrepreneurial journey. Um, I have no idea how I got here. Uh, no, no, but here's the thing. So, uh, I'll backtrack. So, you know, I'm 37 years old. Um, been out of college. What, what does that make? Like 15, 16 years. God only knows. So if you rewind in my life back to college, I had a pivotal moment that's shaped where I've gone since what happened was, is I was wrapping up my undergraduate work and about to start my postgrad work with a focus on linguistic anthropology which is actually the study of how language shapes culture and how culture shapes language. And it was at that time that the market began to crash. Oh yeah. And I had a professor that told me, I remember it so clearly. He said, Kate, we love you. I know you're so passionate about this work, but we really don't know where this field of study is going to be. And your goal of being, you know, professor somewhere, it's, you kind of have a slim to none chance right now with only so many positions, even in North America. Right. Right. He said, my honest recommendation due to the economy is get out of academia for a little bit, go pay off your undergraduate debt, come back when you're ready. Best yeah. advice ever. And, you know, of course, my Italian father was like, yeah, leave my house, like go get a job and leave my house. Right. Like at that point, because I was planning to move home. He's like, no, don't do it. So, Michael, what happened for me is um, I ended up leaving academia and I've never gone back, but um, I took a sales job out of pure necessity because I was like, I have to pay bills. Right. And I have to figure out what I'm doing here. So I took a, I took a, the worst sales job you could ever take. And that actually launched my career into branding. So <laughs> I, every time I tell this story and an entrepreneur like laughs because I'm like, how many of us 
did not get into business to sell. They're like, yep, right here. And I'm like, how many of us have had that sales job? We're like, oh, yeah. right there. All right. So I took a sales job cold calling IT professionals oh my. to sell them, yeah, to sell them $2,500 training classes. Wow. That's the dumbest thing you could do. <laughs> IT people do not want to be called, let alone sold to, right? Like, why would you do this? And I took this job thinking, ah, I can totally do this. I can totally make a living at this, right? So I get into this job and I promise this has a point. So I get into this job, Michael, and they give you like two weeks of sales training. They give you the sales scripts. They give you a database of like 10,000 leads, you know, and they subscribe all your leads in the database to like a drip marketing campaign. And I'm like, have fun, go smile and die 40 to 60 dial, 40 to 60 dials a day. Go for it. That's what you're doing. So back then when the market was crashing, many of us don't remember, but you were out of a job in 30 days if you didn't cut it. Like it right. was, it was like, pff, there's no time. So I get into this job and none of their messaging was working. Their scripts were terrible. People were hanging up on me. And I was like, this is, this is BS. You know, what am I going to do? I have to start looking for another job. So being a type A Italian, like I am, I decided to go rogue. And I was like, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose at this point. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try it my way. I have two weeks left in this job before they let me go. I might as well see what I can do. And what I did is I actually decided to call these people up and tell them three things that I thought would get them, provoke them to want to have a conversation. I told them, hi, my name's Kate. I'm with such and such company. This is what we do. This is how we can solve your problem. And this is how we're different. Kind of a one, two, three punch. And then I would shut up. And sure enough, the responses that I got were, hey, I'm in the middle of something, but can you email me on it? Hey, that's great, but can you call me in six months? I'm not ready yet. I was getting a response and right. got them into the conversation. And that was the light bulb moment that we had to cut the crap of these complex sales scripts and get down to the brass tacks of what people actually want to know to engage in a conversation. Right. So I say all this because I ended up getting recruited into the marketing side to go write scripting. <laughs> then I got recruited out of the company to go build brands in the agency world, then in corporate America. And I was side hustling this business for about, oh God, five, six years before I took it full time in 2019. So this was not a normal path for somebody like myself. who's like, I'm going to do branding for my life. <laughs> here I am. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> There's so many things that we've got to talk about. <laughs> Okay, so um, I know. Well, so you, <laughs> wow, what a what a journey! I love it. Thank you for sharing uh, that much. We're going to dig into some of that. I want to go back to some of the pain mm -hmm. of cold calling, okay. and you know, like one way or another, I, I feel like as an entrepreneur, if you haven't had the experience of cold calling. Uh, if you haven't done it for somebody else, if you haven't done it for yourself, uh, there is so much that that came out of you saying that because you had to find a way. And and they are so dang lucky. That company was so freaking lucky to have <laughs> you decide, I'm going to just try to make this work because uh. even with all of their grandeur, they hadn't taken the time to really perfect that script to a point where they could get where you were trying to figure out how to make it work. And so what, what can you lend to our audience from your experience, cold calling, 
uh, I want to hear some of the the dark sides of it. I want to hear <laughs> some of the, um, you know, what finally pushed you over the edge to do and and start to take the leap of doing it the way that you thought would actually yeah. work because yeah. that's that's not an employee mentality most employees no. would just go well i guess i'm just gonna get fired and off i go well you know it's, it's so true and i think for me uh I, i've always been a bit of a tenacious person and i recognized that i uh much to my own just you know chagrin sometimes it's like it gets in my own way but Here's the thing is I recognize out of desperation, like if this is a make or break situation and either I'm going to sit there and get myself out of a job or I figure something out and I think about a solution, you know, because at that point I felt like I was, I was stalled on the side of the road. Yeah. The, the script's got me so far, car has stalled, can't seem to get it to the end destination of closing a deal. I have to do something. So I have to get out of my car, get out from behind the car, the, the wheel, go to the engine, figure it out and turn that thing on. Yeah. And for me, though, what that looked like was getting back to the basic buyer or human psychology that I didn't even know was buyer psychology at the time. I right. honestly just sat back and I was like, well, this is dumb. If I were on the other end of this phone call, what in the world would I want to know to be remotely right. wanting to have a conversation? Right. Right. How many were on that sales team that you were on at the time? We had about 15, 15 to 20 reps. So the, this blows me away. And and I kind of want to dig into that for a second, because there might be some listeners out there that have their own teams and, and they might be working with a call center or somebody that the setters and, and um, closers. What do you think it was that got them to the point where they had 15 salespeople, but they hadn't spent the time to figure out that this script was good. Do you think it actually worked for one of them? And that's why they were like, let's implement it. Or do you think that they just like, eh, we wrote this up, go try it. Honestly, I think it was a bit of both, which is probably not the way to do this. Right. But I think that candidly, the script that they gave me did work to some extent for individuals who were selling into large enterprise companies, but they had tasked me to sell into small to mid-sized companies. So that's a very different target audience. Right. That's a very different personality, demographics, psychographics, all of the things. The decision-making style was different. And I recognized that what somebody wanted to hear within an enterprise was very different than what somebody cared about within a small to mid-sized company. So yeah, I'm sure it worked for one of the two of the guys on the team, right? But not for everybody. The right. other thing is candidly, and I loved this leader, you know, he was just one of the best sales leaders ever. He, he was so great at scripting, but he was also terrible at scripting because he constantly reinvented the wheel. Right. And at some point you just have to decide what works and go with it. Right. And stick right. with it and know it, like it, prove it out across a number of sets of, of audiences to see, is this really the brand pitch that's going to get more prospects to the table? Right. So, right. you know, I think it was a blend of both and either way, whichever one it came from, it was not working for me. And I knew I had to just break this down into an easier, more tangible way to get across the information I needed to and compel somebody to want to stay in the conversation. Right. Right. I love that. That's it's so valuable. And I think no matter where you're at in the journey of your company currently, those of you listening, whether you're just starting and you're thinking, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, it does because you've got to think, okay, you're the main salesperson right now and you've got to do that. You've got to keep 
trying iterations of it until you can get that message to market match. I think yeah. that if you're on the other end and you've got a sales team or you're looking at your sales team and you're watching the numbers, you might have a, a great sales leader, but it might be great to periodically go back in and, and look at the scripting and ask the people that are actually doing the cold calling, the ones that are actually getting on the phone, like, Hey, talk to me, what's happening. <laughs> right. It's so true. Like, you know, I, I, you can't write brand in a box. And so when we're talking about scripting, when we talk about your go to market messaging, your sales pitch, it's actually your brand pitch. Right. So right. I love it when we assume that it's just marketing's responsibility. No, you need sales in that room to build the pitch, go test the pitch and ensure that this is spot on with what they're actually hearing day in and day out on the calls. But it's interesting because I always say this, you know, Michael, that your brand is your path of least resistance to revenue. Right. I always say that. And I think it's, again, our ability, whether it's face to face, it's on a Zoom call, it's somebody hits your website, our ability as leaders to tell somebody in that 15 seconds what we do, how we solve your problem and how we're different. You know, that is that compelling information. I think that customers and prospects want to know to convert, AKA take that next step with us in a very organic way. Right, right. I wanna dig into that for just a second. I, it might be a little bit of a hiatus, but I think it'll be fun. Um, I, I wanna talk a little bit about brand and, sure. <clears throat> and the challenge that I've talked with a ton of uh, business owners about and have had through the years, but, what happens if the brand seems to resonate? So people go, oh yeah, we we know you're, oh yeah, we get it, we get the thing, but then you go to sell them the thing that they think they understand and they don't really understand at all. Like, how do you fix that? How do you fix that? And what would you tell some of our uh, listeners? Like, okay, this is, they seem to get it from the top end, but as soon as you go to talk to them, they don't seem to get it. Oh, there's a couple pieces of this. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think what we have to look at holistically, when you think about the content architecture of an organization, what you're saying to whom and when, all right, when we just think about it, pure and simple at the tip top of that conversation is your initial pitch, your brand pitch that states what you do, tagline, how you solve somebody's problem, value proposition statement, how you're different differentiator statements. That's great. Then what happens is that they get that message and if it makes sense and it's compelling and they want to take the next step and convert, you move into the next layer of information. And typically what that looks like from the content hierarchy is your proprietary approach or how it works page, products or services, features and benefits, charts, graphs, explainer videos, pricing, inclusions, all that kind of stuff. Then somebody works into the final layer of detail, which is around resources, FAQs, blog posts, articles, uh, case studies, testimonials, all that other data, those data points that back up the top two thirds of your content hierarchy. Now I say all that because if there is a disconnect between, you know, what you're saying in the initial brand pitch, but then the rest of your content, that means you actually need to go back and revise your content for the rest of your organization to be rooted in what you're saying in the first 30 seconds. Right. So differently, you're saying one promise up here and a totally different promise down here. And that's why you're seeing a disconnect in buyers tracking with you every step of the way, how this makes sense and adds value into their lives. Right. So you always want to back it into that top brand at the top in order to ensure that throughout that content hierarchy, whether you're talking in a sales call or, you know, discovery call or whether they're reading it on the website, it makes logical sense. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk about that from a, 
from some different size businesses. Mm -hmm. I know we have some startups that listen to the show and we have some that are, you know, in the five, 10 million and up range. And so we're talking to a couple different uh, people here. I mean, the business journey that we've, we've discussed is important, but how do you know, like if you're in the newer side of things, how do you know when to start putting more attention to the branding and when that becomes a, a more important element than maybe it is in when you're first starting, just trying to get the first few sales, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I get this question all the time. Like, when should I even focus on this? When should I put the money and energy and the time and all the things into writing my brand or refining my brand or polishing, whatever you want to call it, right? Okay. Realistically, when you're starting to get the symptoms around, gosh, I'm struggling to get prospects to the table. Mm -hmm. um, Kate, I have leads coming in, but they're not really qualified or the right leads. Like these are people that are getting on my phone calls and, and they're, or they're coming through my website and they're like, totally not the buyers that I need. Right. Or Kate, I'm getting them on the call, but my clothes were like, my close ratio is terrible. Like something's right. disconnecting where I'm not closing or, and this is a fun one. Oh my gosh, Kate, my sales cycle is atrocious. Right. It's like six months, you know? Right. Well, that actually signals that something's off with your messaging. Right. And so when you think about it, when we talk about what is it that I'm stating into the world, that is the point where you need to go back and look at your brand message and decide, is this true? Is this provocative? Can I deliver on this? And does it speak to the bottom level heart pain that I solve for my target audiences? Sure. Sure. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about... I kind of want to go back to some of what sure. you talked about in the story. You said in 2019, you kind of started into your own, you'd been brewing it for a while and you, you dug in in 2019. What a, what a time to start. And then with 2020 COVID jumping in, yes. you know, it, for some, it was heaven sent for some, it was the end of, oh, a, yeah. of an era oh, yeah. so talk to me about starting in 2019 and and making it through the covid so, uh, oh, time period let me tell you this is so great so yeah i was just, I, professional side hustler here right i was just doing all <laughs> the things on the side outside of working my corporate career and having you know family um i had a stepson and then i had my first child and then in 2019 within a six-month period i got divorced and took the business full-time so don't do what i do <laughs> in terms of life change right like it was just nuts but i knew that i needed a kind of this new start i was getting this demand on the side for the business where people were asking me through just referrals organically and i recognized that i kind of hit a tipping point where i was like "Ooh, if i leave my day job i could make probably 60 percent of what i'm making just doing this pretty organically right now that was that was awesome i was like i can i can do that i can kind of flip the switch because if i can then put more time and effort into networking, I could probably get back over hundred percent of what I'm currently making. Right. So I left in 2019, took it full time and then 2020 hit. And it was really interesting. I tripled my business that year. Wow. And most people would say that's impossible. But what I did is I just leaned in heavily into the practice that I've always had, which is genuinely networking with other business owners and leaders, getting on zoom calls. And I set up a schedule. I'm very rigorous on my schedule. Um, I've got four kids, so I only work between eight and three o'clock, by the way, because wow. I got to get kids off the bus. But right. what I do is I run 20 networking calls per week wow. without fail, 20. And I looked at my schedule and I looked at my energy and I said, well, the easiest day is to start them 8 a.m., 8.30 when I'm waking up. 
and then two and two thirty, and in between there, I ran client calls and I worked on my business. Nice. So I worked around my energy. I built a schedule and a calendar link. And I said, this is just the way that I'm going to operate. And this is about math. This is about a numbers game, right? So when you think about sales principle 101, it's a numbers game. Well, I would love to say that everybody would want me and need me and love me and buy from me. It's just never going to be the case. So I realized that out of 20 calls, I might get two or three, like people. I just freak. I just love them as humans. And I want to keep going with them. Right. And maybe out of every 50 calls, I've got a very qualified prospect. Right. I just had to be okay with that. Right. That was my secret to success coming through COVID is just work the numbers and figure out what are the right rooms that I needed to be in right. that already had my ideal target audiences in there. For sure. For sure. I love that. I want to dig in a little bit there on the ideal client and and getting in front of them. I always say if you are trying to sell tech, the farmer's market might not be your best place to go mm -hmm. sell tech. They're selling bananas and oranges there. So how did you figure out not only your ideal client, but but where they were hanging out? I know a lot of people are like, okay, I know who my ideal client is. And you start asking them well, where they're hanging out. And they're like, I don't know. I have zero clue. Like, where are they? How do I find them? <laughs> so I talk about this in my book a little bit too, which is about defining your ideal target audiences and then um, ascertaining what are your core prospecting techniques to find those people, right? Because we're really talking about prospecting here. Right. How do you find more of the right people? Okay. So step one is you got to define what ideal looks like, which you asked me, well, how did you do that? I really took a step back and I looked at my worst client and then my best clients. <laughs> and I painted a picture of utopia. Right. What did I want in that person? I looked at level of bureaucracy, decision-making style, communication strengths, level of autonomy and trust that they have for me. Are they micromanager? Do they drive me nuts? Do they think they have all the answers? Do they trust me? What about willing to cut the check? What about used to bringing in consultants to, to, to help them? What about they appreciate expertise from the outside? I started to really paint this picture of who this person was as a founder or leader. And I started to look at the pattern and going, a head of marketing doesn't typically buy from me. It's a founder. Right. Almost every single time. Right. So I said, well, then where would I find a founder of this caliber? And I thought, well, this is somebody that's very revenue focused. And this is somebody who very much cares about growth goals and probably working on some big stuff. And maybe they're building a product. And so I actually started to make partnerships with accelerator groups around the world. Mm -hmm. And I would go in and I would teach on branding. And that led to clientele. Right. Fast growing startups. The second thing I did is I looked at CEO mastermind groups. Some were mm -hmm. free, some were paid. And I did have to test it a little bit to kind of figure out who are my people. But that's typical. But, right. you know, I tried a lot of stuff and I looked at where would CEOs go to solve problems, to network and grow their business. That's the room I want to be in. And what the beautiful thing is, is that was a beautiful double edged um, situation because I grew. I learned. I found good people that I wanted in my ecosystem and in my life. And those people then either turned into customers or referred me to customers. Right. I love it. You know, you said, and I, I want to reiterate this because this is beautiful. Where do your people go to solve their problem? Right. right. And you, you, you specifically talked about the problem that you were uh, talking with, but, but I think really, if we could pull that out, this is something that each of you, if you're not driving, write it down for a second, like take your phone out, 
write it down. I like note cards, so I write on note cards. But, uh, <laughs> but write it down for a second. Where do your people go to solve that problem? That's right. And uh, and then go dig in there. I mean, I think that's beautiful. I love it. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about the changes that have come because of COVID. I mean, you lived through that. You started before it came into effect. Um, you know, I, I have a business, had a business that I closed purposely after COVID, but not because of COVID. Um, and I've seen the world change. And I think in a really positive way. I mean, there were oh, yeah. some horrible things that happened during that time period, obviously, sure. but I really feel like as business owners and entrepreneurs, I feel like we all kind of came out of it in, in a better state. I'd love to hear your perspective on that and, and what kind of things you feel like have, have become better. I, I mean, I guess I'm a positive outlook guy, but you know, like what things have you seen that have that really turned the corner because of it? You know, I think the biggest thing is that we've come back to the basics. Yeah. I think that what's so gorgeous about where we're at right now um, as leaders is that we have more opportunity in front of us and we have more choice in front of us as to right. how we operate and run our businesses. And what I mean by that is we have all the tools and the technologies and all the things. Now that's, that's fantastic. And I'm a lover of tools if they are right. And if they don't create more work, <laughs> right. <laughs> Anybody gone through CRM implementation? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, Crazy. you know, th that's great. But what's more important here is that we now have choices to how we build and maintain relationships. Right. And what I think humans are craving is a deeper level of connection. What COVID brought out of us is this deep desire to move from megaphone marketing, right. where you're just inundated with feature benefit, feature benefit, button, 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 call to action, call to action, download this free thing, download that free thing, blah, 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 sales funnels pages into get me, give me the point. I don't yeah. want to have a conversation with you. Right. We're moving into conversational marketing and you're hearing this trend a lot. You're going to hear it in some of the biggest stages in the world this year and into next year, especially with the impetus of AI and chat GPT. What does that mean for us in the, in terms of marketing and sales leadership and, and, and just leadership in general for us with our businesses, it requires a commitment to being human first and a business second. Right. And what that means is we have to really lean into some old school methodologies, such as protecting our Rolodex. Right. Who do we even track and measure and want to talk to? Right. I'll give you an example. You don't go into my CRM unless I've had a conversation with you. Right. What? You have everyone say, but you've got this list and you scanned everybody's badges and you were at this booth and you spoke at content marketing world. And I'm like, I don't care about those people. They don't care about me. Right. So see, I'm not going to put them into my system unless I've met them. Unless I've had a conversation and they give me their card and they said, could you please reach out to me? Sure. Why? Because what I've realized is that the pure necessity of having to track people that don't care about me takes up more time and energy for me as a business owner than I could otherwise be spending with those who actually give a darn and want to get to know me as a person first. Right. So I leverage that principle to go, my Rolodex is my most precious tool. And I think that's what business owners are facing these days is how do I go back to the beginnings of relationship building? Communications yeah. 101, conversations 101. Can I do business that way? And the answer is yes, you can. Right. Yeah, I love that. And and I see it 
all the way around the board, you know, with all the AI stuff and with all the, the new things coming out, a lot of people were, you know, obviously the employees are all worried about their jobs. And, and yeah. I mean, in, in all reality, the, the truth of the matter is they should be, but that's hopefully going to push them to be better at the thing that they are going to become an expert at. But from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's about, like you said, taking back your time and understanding who it is that you want to be working with, who are your ideal people in your world. And, and one of the things that I've always believed in from the startups, we had a phase where we worked with a lot of startups is that they are told to niche down, but they forget that if they don't know who their ideal customer is yeah. yet, they oftentimes niche down into somebody they don't want to work with. And then they get two or three, you know, they get a year down the road and they're like, I hate all my clients. I hate all these oh. people. And it's like, well, you niched down to them. That was who you actually went after and you got them. Sorry. <laughs> it is. It's about choice. And it's right. about, you know, I think the other thing too, that I'm noticing, Michael, and I don't know if you've seen this as well is this, this beautiful move from just focusing on direct to consumer. And I've got to do SEO and I've got to do ads and I've got to do social media. Ah, la, 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 la. Okay. Stop. Hold on. Do you have to do all that? Right. I work in marketing and I don't do all that. Right. I tested it for 18 months on my business. Right. Guess where the only place that people actually engaged with me was on LinkedIn. Now that's shifting for my brand. But that took time and that took data. And I was really okay recognizing that I didn't need to be everywhere for everybody. Sure. Here's what's also fascinating, though. I think we're starting to see another shift where, um, as you talk about, you know, people kind of uh, niching in too hard and finding the wrong customers. I think what we're what we're recognizing is that, you know, you need to also depend on not just direct to consumer, but channel partnerships. Right. So even the smallest businesses I've worked with asking the question, well, who are your channel partners? Well, what do you mean? Now, back in the 80s and 90s, this was like common language. Remember that? Right. Remember my dad being on a phone call when they first got cell phones in like 1999. And he had like one of the original Sprint cell phones. And he's sitting there <laughs> in the car and he's talking and he's like, uh, and he had three three inch binders full of business cards sitting in the front passenger seat. That was his Rolodex and it went everywhere with us as a family. I'm not kidding you. And he was on a call and he gets off this call and said, dad, who are you talking to? He's like, this is one of my core channel partners. I was like, nice. what does that mean? He's like, that guy is the one to many that's going to grow my business. Right. Right. I wonder how many of us are missing that opportunity. Right. There's no doubt. I see it all the time. And it's something that, I mean, Chet Holmes championed ages ago for those that haven't read the ultimate sales machine. That's a great book. It'll be worth your time reading, but I mean, he championed that cause and understanding that dream 100 kind of approach and, and I think it's super important. And I think it's a lot of people just forget about it, but it's yeah. so valuable. So valuable. It is. Well, tell me, you know, there's, I mean, it's, it's very clear that you and I could keep jamming on this for, I know. for hours. So this is not, this is not hard. So we will have to do it again. But, uh, but in lieu of making sure that uh, we, we keep it concise for this time, uh, talk to us a little bit about what it would be like to work with you for those mm -hmm. out listening and, and hearing our conversation and going, wow, okay. I, I need to get in and jump in <laughs> with Kate and figure out how to make this happen. What does it look like to, to work with you? What's the sure. process? So I've got two companies that I run. So the first one is my personal organization, katedeleo.com. And that URL is in the show notes. And that specifically is my consulting practice where I come in and I work with an organization that, that is going to help you 
very specifically write every piece of your brand message and walk through the strategic work like we're talking about today of who you're going after and why. What are those prospecting and sales channels really looking like? And what message do you deliver when and where? Right. In order to get more of the right people to the right table at the right time. And so those are typically four to six week projects. It's fast. It's very iterative. And it's something that you can really run out the door and implement. Right. And that's the focus of my work. Outside of that, I have a second company that's actually officially launching yeah. uh, in fall of 2023. And that's the brand trifecta, brandtrifecta.com, which will be up soon. But what that focuses on, Michael, is it takes my entire consulting practice and it has built up the first and ever branding SaaS platform. Nice. So if you want to go through my process, but you want to do it a bit more just with your team, or maybe you have a marketing partner that can guide you through it. That's a great and much more cost-effective way to go through this. And then last but not least, if you're kind of a DIY person, you can check out my book on amazon.com or on my website. It's called awesome. Muting the Megaphone, 100 pages. That's all we have time for. It's 100 pages. I walk you through the actual steps that we just talked about today. Perfect. I love that. Oh gosh, so many things that we can talk about. <laughs> uh, lots of things we can jam on. Um, yeah. I appreciate you coming today. And and guys, go back and listen because there's so many gems in here uh, that you can take from this and start to think about in your business and start to think about what you're doing. And you notice we were, you know, I alluded to a couple of times like, okay, if you're starting out, this is kind of what it's like. But most of the time we're talking about businesses that are established. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, if I'm already established, then I don't need to do that stuff. And it's like it's just the opposite. I think oh, you yeah. need to do it, especially when you're established. You got to go back. You got to keep dipping your hand into the melting pot and making sure that you're creating something that is still in line with your current vision. And I say current vision because we all know as entrepreneurs that the vision changes. We start progressing along and the vision changes. And sometimes we forget to tell the rest of our staff and the rest of our team and they get a little upset. <laughs> but, you know, it happens. So go back, listen to this again and, um, and feel free to make some comments there and let Kate know how much you enjoyed the episode. Uh, before we go though, Kate, any last words for us and for the audience before we head out? I think one of the best things that we can do as leaders and as, as business owners is to remember that we must say no to the good in order to say yes to the great. It's, it. it's imperative for us to really decide who we are and who we're going after and really sure. stand in that with confidence so that we actually have a better path to revenue and ultimately a better path to actually achieving our vision and, and achieving the impact we want to make in the world. Right. Right. I love that. I love that. Say no to good. Say yes to great. Yep. That's perfect. Guys, until next time, keep choreographing your business and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.